We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Been a rough season, but entertaining Thursday night football gives us host that there's plenty to look forward to next season in the championship. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hey, look, we've shown we can beat up the lesser opposition. We've shown that we can have fun playing good attacking football. So next season in the championship could be a really fun season, and we look forward to analyzing that. But for now, we're going to stick with the current season and the invincible run through the group stages of the Europa League. Uh, quite the accomplishment. Lots to talk about, though, actually. Uh, the performance of the kids, should they be getting more time in the Premier League squad. Mikel Arteta's somewhat spiky post-match press conference. We'll get to that. Um, but I do want to address something that I, I think right off the bat, before I get to any of the, the three gentlemen waiting patiently to say something of value. Look, there have been a lot of discussions about how Arsenal fans are the problem with Arsenal. That Arsenal Twitter is the problem with Arsenal. And I have to admit that I have always thought that that was nonsense, that there are bad fans everywhere, and, you know, Twitter's just a fun thing, and it doesn't really have an impact. But I have been proven resoundingly wrong, and the people that have been saying for ages that Arsenal fans are the problem with Arsenal have been proven resoundingly right. Because, against Dundalk, Arsenal fan and Twitter user, that damn whore, literally scored against Arsenal. So, you know... It doesn't get any more proof that Arsenal fans are against the club than literally scoring against the club in European competition. That's right. Um, Arsenal fan, an active Arsenal Twitter user, an opinionated Arsenal Twitter user, uh, did score against Arsenal. 
but we probably won't he's get into that. He's actually very funny to follow. He's a yeah, really yeah. good follow. He's a good follow. Yeah. He's one of us. I mean, I didn't realize he actually follows me. I, mm. I just bumped into him last night and I'm reading. I'm like, it can't be. Did the guy just change his name after the game or something like that? But like, it's him and he's very funny and he's just like us. Apart um, from the. To be I'm fair, he's also a bit of a mess at Ozil stands. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> careful. Um, okay, you've heard Paul, so I guess I'll introduce him. He's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim's on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello, indeed. Um, let's start from the end because I think it is uh, probably one of the things that people are discussing right now. We'll, we'll get into the football, the way Arsenal are able to attack more against teams that are worse, go figure, um, and, and what it means for young players and whether they should be playing more, and so on and so forth. But, um, Tim, I, I think it's interesting. If you, if you watch the press conference, it's not an outrageous moment, but essentially, Mikel Arteta is asked, you know, you, you played fewer crosses, you know, there was more variety to the attack, is this how you want to play instead of more crosses? And he just says, yes. And... <laughs> He's then asked to expand on this, and he's basically like, I'm not going to. I see your friends laughing, so no, I know where this is coming from. I'm not going to expand on it. It comes across as a particularly spiky moment. Now, look, to be fair, you're a young manager trying to make your way in the game. You're going through a rough patch, and a bunch of journalists on a video call giggling like school kids when Cross is brought up. Yeah, it's going to rub you the wrong way, and I think probably any manager is going to bristle at that. But I'm curious if you take anything from that sort of... um chafing response to it do you want to read into it manager under pressure and anything like that or or do you think it is just the case of uh a man not wanting to be belittled and ridiculed by people who do not know what it is to sit in the chair he sits in a bit of both a bit of both It, it was it was probably slightly precious but at the same time um he is under pressure so of course he's going to feel the pressure and and that's you know i I think that's that's kind of perfectly normal like you know it it wasn't enormously egregious like sometimes i see managers being like really outright rude to journalists and i just think you know i i don't know maybe i have a semi-vested interest here um but it's uh, not that i speak to Mikel arteta but like um, you know, and and sometimes, like I don't know if you saw this clip from about a month ago. I think it was the manager of Crawley Town, um, just like absolutely berating like the club reporter who was asking perfectly reasonable questions. And you know, it's like I'm not going to explain myself to you. And and like I, I hate all that. And like I I don't like like sometimes how Guardiola is and and you know like kind of belittling journalists. But at the same time, like. I think um, when you're in that situation, you understand that you're talking to someone under pressure, um, maybe not in this specific case, but you might be talking to them immediately after like a really bad result, for example, and you're the first person they speak to. And so you're in the line of fire um, a little bit. And I, and I think a lot of journalists understand that. Um, I wonder if um, some of this as well is a symptom of the fact that um, Arteta's press conferences have almost been entirely virtual since he came into the job i wonder i mean maybe not so much nowadays but i wonder if it if we were back in the kind of um in in the old normal as it were where it's like meet in the room and you're seeing the same faces all the time and there's that more personal touch you kind of think okay i i you know i know james benj i know charles watts they sit in all my press conferences they're not idiots they don't sit here and try and wind me up but like when it's when it's a face on a screen maybe you know maybe you don't 
quite get that you know that personal touch like I say I know, I know there's more of a distance between like coaches and journalists nowadays but I you know I, I think it's kind of fine like I think maybe he slightly misread the situation and we can kind of say that because um, I, you know we know Charles um, we know his work and, and everything like that and we know James and we know his work and we know again that they're not just like a couple of clowns winding people up um, not like, you know, when you hear, if you ever sit in on one of these things, like Sky Sports News is questions, like, fuck me. Like, honestly, it, ma- it makes you a bit embarrassed sometimes when you're in the room um, and, they're, and they're asking, like, just absolutely absurd questions. And you think, Jesus, like, this manager, like, you're in a really privileged position of being able to ask this manager questions um and you're you're fuck you're waste like you're wasting everyone's time um uh, but then again you know they've got their own pressures they've got their own editors in their ears saying get a line on this get a line on this and and whatnot and so there can be some friction there that that's obviously not the case with with charles and james for example um but at the same time i think when you're doing the job you understand that um you're in the crossfire maybe a little bit and i guess like from some personal experience you know i i speak to joe montemoro the arsenal women manager before and after every game and um the, I, I i've seen it a few times now like he's a bad loser right because and that's what you want as a manager you want you want someone who's upset when the results are bad and uh, I remember speak, speaking to him, I think maybe after the first bad result he had as Arsenal manager, um, like a defeat to Chelsea. And I'd never seen him be like really short before um, and, be and you know, be visibly angry. And, uh, and I joked with him about it like a week later. I was like, I've never seen you like that before. And, and, and now it's kind of a, a bit of a running joke. But that's hmm. that that's kind of because, again, maybe like, in like the now virtual world that wouldn't have been able to happen like to build that kind of relationship is is more difficult um but i you know broadly i'm kind of okay with it like i i get it he's under pressure um you know he bristled a bit because he could see people laughing or whatever and and i kind of think that's fine even if it's harsh on on the individual's concerned yeah two things i think that you can take away from this first of all he said yes so in other words, he acknowledges that like, yeah, 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 he'd rather play this way than the crosses, like, which is kind and that's of fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no. And, and that's, you, you'd like him to expand on it, but at the same time that that's the meat of the answer right there, isn't it? That's kind of what you want to know. The yes is good because like he had previously said, basically like it's pure math. If we keep doing this many crosses, we'll score goals. And like that, I think more than anything had been ridiculed. And this yes at least indicates a walk back from that. So I think there is something there. And then, you know, the only other question I think you have here is, look, in English football, the media play a role. And if you lose the press and if you become antagonistic with the press, they can make your life quite difficult. Um, You know, I mean, maybe less than it used to be as fans get more of their news and content directly from other fans or from less traditional sources. And I think that's a positive thing, not just because uh, we'd like to be a part of that culture, but because, um, you know, I I think it means that vindictiveness and and agenda become less effective in in this environment. But I definitely think if you lose the press and, and you make an enemy of the press, you make your life harder. So, you know, I don't think he wants to go down that road. But, but Paul, do you want to briefly add on this? I don't, I don't think it is anything major, but it was noteworthy in that it was 
it was something that we hadn't seen a lot from him before. So do you, do you have a quick thought on it? Yeah. So a couple of things. I, I thought he did it like he, he was pissy and I wish he hadn't done it. And it's like, maybe you might say it's a bit from the Guardiola playbook, but Guardiola is a whole other animal when he does this stuff. I mean, he just bring, you know, it goes on and on and like he sulks for hours. Um, Arteta has his own style. So he did it with a smile. He kept it short he kept it lightish, but yeah, he he. Uh, I think he showed he, he's almost inviting, kind of that that uh, maybe the little bit of antagonism going forward with the media. Um, you wouldn't want to do it too often. But on the other hand, other managers can play with the media back and forward if they do it right. I don't think Guardiola does it particularly well, but he tends to be in a very strong position with strong teams and. Uh, you know, his problems are the problems everybody else would want to have. Uh, Arteta's on a much stickier wicket, um, so he's got to play that game very carefully. But if he's good at this, and we don't know, you know, he has the personality and the the communication skills, and I think the quickness of mind to be able to turn as, as, uh, these kinds of situations like a, from time to time Wenger could. He didn't He didn't always manage it brilliantly. Sometimes he could get overly pissy and not in a way that he might have wanted. But, you know, Ferguson could use the media back and forward, uh, but he tended to be in a strong position when he did it. So uh, I guess it depends going forward how Arteta does this stuff. This wasn't, um, I don't think this was super helpful for him, but I think Tim touched on something which was, it seemed like he was primed for this. I think, you know, Charles Watts is like being savaged by a, a cuddly sheep um, in that he's a he's a respectful and friendly audience here. He couldn't have asked it in a nicer way. And Arteta was from the get-go. I mean, I don't think he might have spotted stuff on the Zoom, but I, that can't be it. He, I think it was the 97 headlines and all of the coverage and all of the media uh, and all the punditry afterwards going at him for the crosses. He was pre-stung before he got into this. So it, it, it was something he was waiting for. And he probably intended to handle it, handle it slightly different. But I think this happened before the press conference. Charles was just the unfortunate fellow to ask the question and wasn't helped by a few people smiling and nudging on, on the Zoom. So, but... But that's the nature of the beast. He's gonna if this, if he finds this tough, it's probably going to get a lot tougher over the next few weeks. So he needs to maintain his calm. Um, he needs to look like he's in control, of whatever's going on, on the pitch. And can I just yeah, add please. quickly mm -hmm. as well that you know for for James and Charles that they they cover look well. I know James is in a different role now, but Charles covers Arsenal and that's it. And um, it's quite easy um, to to become overly familiar. Um, in that scenario and not ask hard questions they, they both asked um, you know whether you want to call it a hard question they asked the question that we all want to know about right because they're tuned into what the Arsenal fans are talking about at the moment and um, not just for their professional uh, curiosity they know what Arsenal fans are talking about and they asked the question that was perhaps difficult for Arteta to take but um, you know, I, I guess I just want to speak up to their professional integrity on that because it's not easy when you speak to the same manager every week and perhaps you like him and perhaps, you you know, you have an affinity to the team, but you've still got to ask the tough question um, and they still did it. 
Yeah. Uh, well, and and Clive, I want to give you a, a whack at this, and we're probably giving it more oxygen now at this point than than is warranted necessarily. But I think, you know, Zoom decorum is an interesting thing, right, guys? Like, if you're sitting at a press conference live with the manager right in front of you, you know not to snicker, giggle, guffaw, chuckle at a question that might negatively reflect on the manager. But when you're sitting at home in your pants and you forget that the camera's pointed at you and he can see you in gallery view, someone asks about crosses and you have a little snide giggle because you you don't necessarily realize he's looking at you and suddenly seven or eight journalists have, have giggled in the gallery view and yeah, that's going to really aggravate the manager um, and something that un- unlikely to happen in person. So I wonder if that dynamic played a role. Clive, uh, let's get to the football soon. So uh, a quick final yeah, coda I'm, on this topic. Oh. I link it into football. I think um, I've listened to almost every single one of these press conferences since Ante has come along because they're actually interesting again. And what you find out is you get different quality of questioning as Tim alluded to. I did that Tim alluded to thing again. <laughs> Tim alluded to earlier. You get your guy from from Sky. You get guy from that guy from Haters. I'm sorry, no good. Charles and, and James answered. They asked good questions. They asked football questions sometimes, tactical questions, which I think he enjoys answers, answering. But I think this, the way that Arteta spoke about crosses last week, I think has been misconstrued significantly. Someone asked him and said, you know, if you put in this many crosses, it's a good thing. And he said, look, it's pure mathematics. That's a good thing. He didn't talk about crossing types. He didn't talk about this is going to be the way I want to play. He didn't talk about crossing positions, what's going to happen in the box. He didn't talk about any of those things. We've all spoken about it. We've all took those words that this is the style he wants. We've gone and wrote a million articles on crossing, statistics, where we are in the league. We've become crossing experts. And it just exploded in the week when he just dis- he took a question on board and he said, hey, mathematics, I mean, we get that many crosses. We're gonna we're gonna start scoring goals. On that glib statement, he's absolutely right because we're up we're up the pitch. We'll be having more touches in the box. Blah blah blah. All the other things that make statistics will tell you if we're doing those sort of things, we're gonna score more goals eventually. You know, and I th- I'm disappointed that people have just thought, well, this is where he wants to go. You haven't got a Giroud in the box. You haven't got this. We've completely ripped apart a glib statement which I listened to. And made a massive story out of it. And then suddenly, two games later, we just have a normal game. And he's, he has to answer the crossing discussion. I, I think we've, missed, we've misread this completely. Massively completely. There are causes in effect for why we're suddenly putting crosses in. Which we could discuss if you want to. But I'm not sure you do. Around certain players in certain positions. The man Yang off the side. Tierney on the left. Winning on the right. Mm. Things have changed in our player pool. Things have played, changed significantly about how we're playing and game states, which have led to the crossing numbers. It doesn't mean he's decided this is how we're going to play. And I think he was annoyed about it. And that's why he came back. And probably the two guys on the <laughs> on the press conference that actually asked the smartest questions. So um, that's my view. Yeah, and to be clear, like you, you touched on something there. You know, I think it's no surprise, right, that Teams that get behind put in more crosses. You know, I mean, there's game state factors here. There's opposition factors here. There's definitely player factors here. But Clive, I want to stay with you just for a second because I I do think watching this game, you know, you see why fewer crosses are going in. And in my view, I I mean, and look, 
I feel like I'm sick of always making the point that the opposition on Thursdays is shit. But of course they are shit. They lost every single game in a group that didn't have another good team in it. Okay? They didn't get a point off mold. They didn't, which still is funny for me to say, uh, they didn't get a point off Rapid Vienna. Okay? So, so yes, they are absolutely shit. But the thing that I, I feel, Clive, is that when you look at the way we play on these Thursday night games, we are able to get our midfielders, and especially our more attacking midfielders, closer to the box. And we are able to press a bit and win possessions higher up the pitch. And so when we're in possession, those Attacking midfielders, those forwards, are able to exchange passes more. Think about the little one-twos between Pepe and uh, Willick and you know uh, Smith-Rowe and Maitland-Niles had the really nice one right on the left-hand side. And those kind of inter- interactions, those kinds of one-twos, small triangles, top-of-the-box exchanges of passes are not happening in the Premier League. Clive, you and I have done talked to, to death on the rewatches, the horseshoe of sadness. The, the midfield is 30 yards away from the forwards. So the only place to go is to spin it out to the wing and then cross it into the box. So can we, against Premier League opposition, get these midfielders, especially the attacking-oriented ones, closer to the box, closer to the forwards to have more of this involvement together? Or is it simply uh, not something we're able to do because of the level of the opposition? Or, and, and to be fair, if you want to just correct me, do you think my characterization of why it works better on Thursdays is correct, that we are creating more interconnectedness between those lines, especially in central spaces? Yeah, so I don't look at the standard of the opposition so much. I just look at what we, what type of players do we have on the pitch. So you went through some names there. So you went through Maitland Niles, uh, Smith Rowe, Joe Willock, Pepe. Those players are really attacking midfielders that want to transition forward. So everything about their games is get it, receive it, go. Right. So they naturally want to connect. If you look at the first team players, we've got William, we've got you know, Alakazet and Aubameyang, and they're not really connected at exclamation points. And so the one guy that's really connecting is, funny enough, it's Saka. And funny enough, and as we saw the other day, another guy that's trying to do it, that really should be doing his own job, is Hector Bellerin. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, mm-hmm. And so we have a situation where we have no connections in the in the first team from, a, from the top of the pitch perspective. And we got a lot of those attacking mids that are quite young in the second team. Now, if you add two other factors to it, um, our centre midfielders, that don't punch the ball quickly enough. So in this game, we had El Nenny, who's a one-touch player. You can read his game, exactly what he's going to do. He's a release valve, one-touch passer. So you start to get, a, I call it a Brazilian rhythm, because you know what's coming. Just a little drum beat that's going. He's going to get it, one, two touches, it's going. The people start to move and know what he's going to do to support his next pass. They don't want him holding the ball too long because he's he runs through quicksand, he'll get caught. As soon as the ball's travelling to him, you get ready for it to create a line to receive it. In the first team, we have two centre mids. Do we need to go through this again? I probably don't. We have two centre mids with diving boots on. They have a million touches that feel themselves. Right? And um, no one knows when the ball's coming. So the one player that... The players that do want to roll in or can't be bothered after time, um, don't do it. They go on excuse because those two guys are idiots. They're not passable when they should do. Right. So there's a level of certainty in the second team. There's a level of so even the minimum, even the limited game that El Nenny has suits progression. You see what I mean? And so you can start to see what he's doing, the predictability of his game. 
And then you talk about these young players that are coming through, which I'm sure you'll get on to. They are really all attacking mids. And they want to spring. They want to go. They want to transition. They're comfortable in their physicality. They're comfortable in their speed. They want to show you what they got. So they spring and they move. And we all look at it and say, this looks really good. And we look at the opposition. But actually, it's their, it's their game attributes, their player attributes, which suit ball progression, half turners. I'm not sure if they're ready for the first team yet. But those skill sets, I heard what Tim and you guys said on the instant reaction, those skill sets are absolutely what we need. It's just whether they're good enough you know, for the first team. Yeah, well, and, and I, I got to level with you. I think a lot of people want to presume that these kids can step into the Premier League and add what we're missing. And while I, I'd like to think they can, I, I will probably go on a brief rant later about knowing the difference between the really elite young talent and the young talent that's nice and decent, but probably will make it lower down the table. I, maybe I'll hold, keep my powder dry for a bit there, Tim. I, I want to talk about Smith Rowe first. Um, this, this is tricky because, you know, I, I am sympathetic to Clive's point about not really examining the opposition. And at the same time, you know, is it about having more space and time to execute things? I mean, Smith Rowe is very clean on the ball. His touches are clean. He he can receive on the half turn. I mean, there are things he can do. Like, is he better than Granite Shacker right now? Gosh, it, it feels like a jump to say he is, but like Granite Shacker can't receive it on the half turn, can't play those little one-touch, one-twos, you know, can't move through the space into the final third. And, and I mean, Arteta even praised him and said he wasn't even really playing in his best position doing all this. So I, I am torn between saying there's no downside to putting him in because he's already showing us things that our current players can't do and saying, well, it's easier to do it when you have players who are a step slower, whose pressure comes later, who aren't aware of the movement around them. But but Smithrow is certainly a player that I think a lot of us have been excited to see. And, and maybe in that sort of mythical number 10 role, you know, Lacazette was one of the hardest workers against Spurs, but I think we all acknowledge that that role is a weird fit for him. Is it time for a Smith Rowe to get a chance? I mean, Arteta basically said he has zero percent chance of playing. Is that a mistake? Uh, probably. Um, I, I imagine that's purely physical, um, and that they're just they're just trying to manage him because he's had fitness issues over the last two years. So I, I kind of feel like, assuming that um, assuming that that's right, I feel like I, I've got to kind of let them do that because they have the expertise and also you know he has missed a lot of the last two years and you know we don't know whether that's down to growing pains like hip injuries and um you know not as an elite athlete but i speak from experience um hip injuries are are a real bastard like we all saw what happened to freddie lundberg when he had surgery on his hip um you know, he, he wasn't quite the same player after that. Roy Keane as well, he had that surgery. Not quite the same player. Your, your, your hips are very, very important, particularly for a player like Smith-Rowe, who is, like you say, a real half-term player. I, I do think that once he's up to fitness, um, yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I look at him as someone um, who can who can absolutely uh, come into this team and improve it because, you know, like I said on the instant reaction pod, I, I've seen this boy's talent and it's huge. It, it's absolutely huge. And, you know, sometimes a kid just comes into the first team and just looks at home straight away because he's good, because like you say, he's technically so clean and, and he can do all those. I mean, I, I guess I was going to call them basics, but we've got so few players that can actually do them um, that may, maybe they're not so basic. I think 
probably what I'd be minded to do once once he's ready um, physically or once they think he's ready physically. I thought it was interesting in playing him in that slightly wide position, like uh, optimum. Um, his his optimum position is as a number ten, or maybe even as a free eight. But maybe um, the, the the way to induct him is to play him in one of those wide forward positions, um, maybe off the left or something, and have him like coming in field and combining with the Bamiang and having, you know, having the fullback Tierney or whoever going outside of him. Or he he you know he he had a good relationship with Maitland Niles on the pitch, and. And and this is another trait of good players that I think is really underplayed is the ability to create partnerships. And we talk about him a lot, right? But for me, that was the standout attribute of Cesc Fabregas. Whoever Arsenal played up front on the wings, he, good relationship, good relationship with Theo, good relationship with Adebayor, good relationship with Van Persie, good re- relationship with Leb, Brzezicki, Flamini. That, that's that's because he's a really good player and really good players don't just play their own game. They appreciate the talents of the players around them, particularly creative players. And I see that in Smith Rowe as well. The way he was just like knocking the ball around with Maitland-Niles on that left that left-hand side, really, really like that. They haven't played together a lot, right? Maitland-Niles is three years older, I think, than Smith Rowe. They did not play together in the youth team. That is not a pre-existing relationship. Um, that's just something they were doing on the pitch quite naturally and that's another one of the things i really like about smithrow and and i do wonder if um if maybe that's that's the kind of role for him if and when he's ready just coming in off that wide position perhaps not being in the center where you know everyone's a sprinter um everyone's like an olympic sprinter in the premier league nowadays maybe just coming off coming off that left-hand side and into the half spaces which we don't fill out enough anyway um, I, I, I think that's maybe where I'd like to see him first before we risk his um, his body um, in the centre circle a little bit. I, I think that's the way I might manage it. And you saw um, in the game last night, he was playing from the right, but I mean, he was popping up all over the place. Um, and that's the kind of thing we've clearly been trying to encourage Willian to do. If you look at Willian on an average position map, he's... You know, he's infield and he's all over the place. And I've said this a million times. I don't understand why we thought Willian could play that role. He's never done it. He's never played as a number 10 or as a left winger. He's always been the most... He's, he's been like Stanley fucking Matthews. He's the most old-fashioned right winger I've ever seen. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean, if you use him like that, that's how he's really good. Touchline, beat the player, cross in. That is who he is. Right, he's a 1950s English style winger. Except maybe not beat the player understand. anymore. I just had to throw it in. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself. But but even you look at um, the goal he created for Gabriel against Wolves. What did he do? Received the ball out of feet, whipped in across. That is who he is. That's what he does. Mm. I do not understand why we bought him to drift in field. It is never what he has done well. Smith Rowe can do that. He is the type of player you can put out wide initially. And, and, you know, maybe when he's 23, 24, we can have the number 10 conversation. But just have him coming in field, you know, creating partnerships, creating triangles, almost doing the role that Mkhitaryan was doing under Emery. But, you know, hopefully slightly better and more consistently. Yeah. I, you know, you know what scares me a little bit, Tim? Is it like when Cesc Fabregas came into the team, he was such a precocious talent. He made it clear he had to play. But he came into a very good team. He didn't have to save it. Jack Wilshire, precocious talent. 
good team, granted, not the team Sess came into, but a good team didn't have to save it. Um, this team needs saving. And that's the worry. The worry becomes yeah. how much responsibility falls onto these kids to come in and save it. We've seen Joe Willick play well on Thursdays and not be able to influence games on Sundays. Um, I think it is going to be hard for any of them. But at the same time, and this is my rant, and I'm not going to make it a rant. I'm just going to make it a quick point, Paul, and then I'll turn it over to you. Bukayo Saka came into a bad team and was manifestly good and had to play, and now he plays. And he's not even playing great every game, but he clearly belongs, and he clearly can do things to win us games. Like, when the talent is clearly the level you need, you don't have to squint to see it. You know, there's very... I can't even find a debate of anyone saying Saka's not good enough. Most of these players who break in from the academy, there's a pretty good debate. You know, Enkedia, he's good enough, he's not good enough. Willick, he's good enough, he's not good enough. The ones that really are good enough, there's no debate. Everyone acknowledges, yeah, Saka's just good enough. He just is. Um, and so, you know, with with Smith Rowe, it's tougher because he hasn't played a lot. He's been injured a lot. We've seen very little of him. And there is such a need for him to be a guy who can come in and play that role. I love the qualities he has, but it's a dangerous position, a dangerous time to take a young player and thrust him into this. So, I mean, what do you think, Paul? When you when you see a guy playing on the half turn, playing one-twos, who can carry it forward effortlessly and and injects that tempo that we lack, are you prepared to say he he's ready for these chances? Or do you see more of a Willick situation where it's like, you know, we, we just don't know yet that that level translates? Um, neither. So he's, he's not a Willick for me. I mean, he just... Uh, I actually think... It would have been great to use him for those 44 games that, that Willock played last year. I like Willock, and I think there's a role for him in our squad. But I think Smith Rowe is the guy who understands where the space on the pitch is. I mean, he had a big responsibility for Huddersfield. He basically was kind of the free 8-10. Uh, may have been a championship level Kevin De Bruyne, but he was kind of, you know, I, I, I remember an article or on him where he had said Kevin De Bruyne was his model. And like the problem with that comparison is just the skill levels of Kevin De Bruyne, De Bruyne, at least these days are off the charts. But that to me is where he's going and where you use him. I definitely think he's your, your mini rant there on the young players, I think is exactly right. You can see it with Saka. We saw it with, um, with uh, what's his face with uh, Gabriel Martinelli, I mean they just when they're good enough, they're good enough. Martinelli's a great um, example. They, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean we have Gabriel at the back as a centre back. That's really young for a centre back, but you knew straight off. Um, and you know Tierney's bloody young. Um, when Hector arrived, he was bloody young, but uh, like they'll have their games where where it catches up with them. But overall, they're like, they'll have two out of three games where you say, oh yeah, they're right there. Whereas you look at Nelson, who I really like, and I think he should be kind of in that that grouping. He's had so many games where he's been, you needed the subtle eye to see that he was having a good game kind of thing, but you could debate it back and forth. So I, I do agree. There's a, there's a group we have who are where you get into these long debates as to whether they're good enough or not. And then you have this smaller group where they just, you see them on the pitch and, and they, they belong. 
and they can they have something that even the senior players don't have. I think Smith Rowe is in that category, but we'll have to wait in time. I think my my spot for the future. I think when Miguel Aziz gets a run in a year or two, you'll suddenly see a guy on the pitch in the area pitch that we're desperately crying out for what he has now. I haven't seen. There's only so much you can see on the internets and on the Arsenal side and the under 23 games, but every now and then you see one. You say, "Holy shit, there it is!" And mm. I, you know, but more to your point, when if he is that guy, it should just pop. Uh, when you know, at a, at a certain age, given their time, it should pop for you that this guy is that good. I don't. I don't think Smith Rowe is fit enough. Um, maybe strong enough right at this moment. Uh, and Arteta's got this dilemma that what he needs in this team is a whole bunch of legs, and he's got none, and all the legs are owned by these young guys who are who are not quite ready. Your Willicks, uh, Smith Rose, uh, you know, Maitland Niles, who is ready, but we're not playing him where we need him. Um, and we don't know if he's good enough where we need him. So, he, he, like, there's four or five players who have the legs he needs for us to compete in the Premier League, but but none of them are either ready or available or adapted to the position he would need them in. And when left with his existing squad, I mean, it's just like, unless we're in form and knocking it about and uh, got the automatisms going, then we run into trouble because we physically we don't compete. Yeah. Um, I, so it's interesting that you brought up Martinelli because there's some debate about whether Arteta was reluctant to use Martinelli. And I, I think there's a question to be asked yep. about Arteta's willingness to rely on youth. I mean, it, it is tough, right? Because he, he plays with Kaiosaka regularly all the time. No reluctance to do that. I mean, maybe Arteta is sort of seeing what I'm seeing, which is the good ones. It's not open for debate, but I would think Martinelli be in that category. And he does seem to have a preference for the older, more experienced players. And, and maybe he feels he can just rely on them to follow their instru- his instructions better. But part of Martinelli's problem, though, was he plays where he wanted to play Aubameyang. And Aubameyang was out for a couple of games. So Martinelli was starting. I think it was around the red card time. Um, so I think that's a little bit of a challenge in assessing how much he wants to use him. Uh, but he has tended to want to use both from the left and Aubameyang back in the day when Martinelli was fully fit was getting preference. Uh, but yeah, I share that concern that maybe Arteta only has the appetite to play one kid. He certainly has leaned towards experience, especially under pressure mm. at the end of the season. And now that he's under pressure early to mid-season, uh, the, the only good thing is he's relied on his experience players and it's got him to hear so now he needs to do something different yeah i mean uh i would say the the shout for play all the kids look let's be clear about something the kids would get relegated from the premier league don't fool yourself the kids would get relegated from the premier league they are not good enough the u23 team routinely loses to teams that are in league one league two level um, Dundalk would get relegated from League One in, in England, okay? That's their level. Um, it's not mean that the kids are not good. It means that the kids are not uniformly Premier League quality. Maybe one or two of them is. And if one or two of them is, that's a coup. You don't get more than one or two academy kids who can play at the Premier League level, let alone top four level. We already got one in Bakayo Saka. Martinelli's not an academy kid, so he doesn't count. If we get one more, if we get Smith Rowe, if we get someone else, that's a coup. 
But no, the kids are not going to fix this. Now you can say, could it get worse? I mean, we are not going to go down, but we're close enough now that if you turn this season over to the kids, it's not out of the question at that point. I mean, I, I just think that, that that's not a solution. You've got senior pros who are going to be pissed I, off, who are on big wages. You, you can't just say, we're going to turn the, the team over to the kids. That's not a solution. So, um, but do you need to can integrate? I just add on that. Oh, yeah, Sorry. please do. Please, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I think that comes out of an emotional place, doesn't it? Like, oh, fuck it, just play the kids. Yep. And actually, that's that's not good for the kids. No. That's not good for their development. Like, what you need, and again, like, uh, all right, Fabregas was a stellar talent, right? But look at who he came through alongside. That's what young players need. If you throw them all in together, it doesn't actually help them. If you put them in, like, let's say Smith Rowe makes it or Martinelli, put them in, like, with a Bamiang. Um, that like that's great. Like put Smith Rowe in. I don't know with with whoever, Willian. <laughs> and, <laughs> no thanks. And but but do you know what I mean? Like but usually they need experience with them. If you just throw them all in together, they're all, like that's that's satisfying for us to punish the senior players. But it doesn't actually help the young players. It, no. If anything, well, not if anything, it will certainly stunt their development. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, how many times do you hear about somebody like Fabregas talking about when he joined the dressing room and the players he looked up to and the player, you know, that he was in awe of and just a few words from them kind of thing. And you just can't throw all the kids in. You just get a bloody mess. Um, they can't be the guys who set the benchmark unless there's something a bit special about them. Yeah. And, and again, that's not an excuse to not use some of them. And I understand the urge to be like, well, can they do worse than the senior players? They can. They genuinely can, yeah. um, and then you and then you kill them, and you kill their value, and you kill the team, and you've got a squad that's a mess because you've got tens of millions, hundreds of millions of pounds tied up in players you're not using, and kids that you're destroying. It's it's not a realistic solution, but again, some should be in there, and there should be a meritocracy about getting that position, and that's tricky when you're losing so much because what's the meritocracy, Clive? I I want to Balogun is another one we're going to have to discuss, but before we do that, just really quickly, um, it's a it's a stunner from El Neni, uh, good for him. Do you have any concern about using Ceballos, about using El Neni, about using, hell, Maitland-Niles for 90 minutes? We've got six games in 16 days, seven games in 19 days. Um, we basically have three central midfielders at the at the first team level. It's Shaq, it's Ceballos, and El Neni. Um, I realize that sports science now is about periodization and, and you know actually not playing is not always good for these players, but do you have any concerns about risks being taken with players in this totally dead rubber game with so many fixtures coming up? Not really. Um, I think El Nelly needed the game. They took him off, so I'm hoping he'll play on at the weekend. Um, Sobias, well, you know, he doesn't play every game anyway, and when he does... He might now. Think... I mean, he might now, right? Oh. He could he could be in line to start every one of those six games in the next 16 days. Yeah, and we've got Mainland Niles to come in, and we've got Joe Willett to come in. I mean, this is why you have these kids playing in these games. When they do come in, they can do something. Mm. At least they're coming in to fix a problem rather than be relied upon. I very much agree with what you're saying that the kids shouldn't be relied upon. I think what we need to be thinking about when it comes to kids' development is how we use the land system. You know, when you got to look across to our Chelsea neighbours and just look what they've got, look at their their young players, look at their league appearances compared to ours. They're significantly different. We're debating Eddie and Ketter, for example, but I know Tammy Abraham may be a year or year older from school year old, if you know what I mean. But Tammy Abraham's played over 155 games. Played at Villa, played at Swansea, played at Bristol City. 
He's in the Chelsea team, he's in the England team, and they're still debating him. You know, but he's in there, he's had the experience, and we're still trying to work out who Eddie is, and we've already decided that the kid below beneath him is going to be better. You know, Smith Rowe, compare him to Mount. I mean, Smith, unluckily, Smith Rowe went to Leipzig and only played two or three times. He hasn't had the experience on the pitch. He's played under 20 times with Huddersfield. And Mason Mount, you know, he's he's like, again, over 150 appearances. Right? It's a different ball game. We've got to work out the development of these guys much better. And because they're so good, and the gap between the first team and them is not so big, we're using them. So we've got a very heavy squad. We use them in these games. The Premier League um, bench rules doesn't allow us to put two or three more on the bench. So we can't put them on if the game state suits them, give them minutes, even not in the squad or which is really frustrating because we'd like to see them in the squad. Do you know what I mean? If you see them on the bench, we'd be a little bit happier. When we see Klasnik on the bench, when we see Mustafa on the bench, and when we see these people on the bench like, you know, Shaka and El Nenny on the bench and Maitland Niles and no attacking mids on the bench last weekend, this sort of thing really sort of annoys people and, and quite rightly. For us, I think we've got to get better at our loan system, make sure they have the experience they need, so when they come in, they can do the job we want them to do. And what we have to remember that youth development is not a linear exercise. It's something that's uniquely individual to that person. Smith Rowe, again, a player that I absolutely like, but his body's, you know, he had a, a 90-day groin injury, you know, and that's, that's a long time. You know, he's had abdominal strains, He's had shoulder injuries. This is warning signs of a young player that's struggling with the everyday training and then the games on top. He has to build up a robustness of body, build up those, those hormones that you need, those man hormones that take away from a teenage hormone to be able to deal with that level of intensity on a daily basis. And as soon as he can, we'll be able to decide and he'll be able to fill in holes. But I don't worry about the experienced players. I don't. I'm telling you, Elliot. I don't worry. I don't worry about them because they're not doing anything for me at the moment. And they need to get a rhythm, keep a rhythm, get a bit of confidence on the win, and then see what they can do when they come into the team. I think we've got enough in those areas to cover with um with some of the younger players. And I wish we could share games a bit more. Mm. If we had the bench, we could we could get Joe Wheeler confidence of bias. We could get Maitland Niles on when he's starting to get leggy and get run. And just so we can share the games, but that scenario has gone with the squads and the five sub rules, which I think is disappointing. Yeah, and I mean, it, it it is tough, Clive. I have to tell you, like for me, with this very very busy period coming up, I think there'll be a chance to look at a lot of different players because he'll have to rotate. Maybe not even starting elevens, but you know the teams that finish the games, and maybe we will stumble onto somebody who's really ready to make a difference. One of the players, though, Tim, that. Looks like he has something about him. And again, we have to be careful about over-emphasizing performance on Thursday. But I think the interesting thing with Balogun looking sharp and, and exciting is Eddie Nketiah is playing Thursday too. And I realize he scored a goal and it's a lovely chip. And it's taken from a huge error and a transitional opportunity that arises from it. But like, I think Balogun has looked sharper than Nketiah, just candidly. Maybe that's blatant agenda and bias on my part. I mean, we've seen Nketiah in the first team. And, uh, you know... I know what we have in him, and I think Balogun looks like he has more about him. I I guess this is a tricky one, though. I mean, here is a guy who we've known about, we've had in our academy, highly rated. We seem to have kind of hit the snooze button on doing anything with his contract. We didn't make path for him to playing time. You know, we, we nailed our coach to the master with Nketiah, fair enough. Gave him first-team opportunities. Didn't really find first-team opportunities for Balogun, and 
by the time we kind of woke up to the fact that his future was no longer really in our hands as he enters, you know, as he's into the last year of his agreement and, you know, to determine that there's something special there, we now seem to have woken up to the idea that we should give him these opportunities to try to salvage the contract. Um, and I guess the question now is, is it salvageable? So the, the, it's a two-parter, I guess, which is one, are you as impressed with Balogun? And do you think that mm. maybe we've made a bit of a hash of this and is it recoverable? I guess that's a three-parter. <laughs> so whether it's, I mean, they, they have been trying to sign him for a while and then things went dead. Um, and, you know, All right, so can I, can I stop you just for a second? I want to be clear about something. Right? Yeah, trying sure. to sign someone is two-part component. One of the ways you keep a player is you show them that they have a future at the club, right? So like yeah, the yeah, easiest yeah, yeah. way to get an academy player to sign with the club he grew up with is to use him, right? Is to put yeah, him on yeah. the pitch, Yeah. 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 And you'll see like either side of Saka's contract. I know Saka plays every game now, but if you look at those games after after lockdown in June, July, Saka started every game. And then as soon as he put pen to paper, he was back on the bench. And, you know, sometimes you've got to be cute like that. Right. We, we did it with Walcott. You know, yeah, we put him, him in striker. Yep. Three games. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Got him to sign a contract and then like didn't the do that again for two years. Um so the tricky thing, the tricky balancing act here with uh, Balogun and, and Nketiah is that um, I, I only just realized this because, uh, you know, I, I think Andrew wrote about it on Ask Blog. They have the same agent. So you can't, but that, that really forces your hand, you know, because you can't, you can't say to the same guy, you can't give the same guy the same spiel you know you can't do the yeah we really see Nketiah as the starting striker and then like walk into the next room go, oh you again we really see Balogun as the starting striker um I mean I guess you could say that um Lacazette's um lack of a future means that there is a way that we could keep both if that's what we wanted to do if we say you know if we say to the one agent look he's going to be gone in a year right so there is actually a, a space for both but Inketia's deal is up in 2022, right? So whether we make a decision on him or not, he's going to make a decision on us pretty soon, if he hasn't already. Um, and he's probably going to look at how this season goes. And and really, I mean, on one hand, I kind of flip-flop on this because there's a part of me that thinks, are we just looking at Balogun as the shiny new thing? Like, Nketiah's got five goals in the Europa League. Uh, well, he's got five goals this season. I, th I think at least one of them's been in the Premier League against West Ham. And I appreciate he's a bit older, but I think to myself, God, can you imagine if Balogun had scored five goals this season? Uh, you know, a late winner in the Premier League against West Ham, four goals in the Europa League, we'd be saying, my God. God, this guy is fucking good, and I and I appreciate that there's 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 a, there's an age gap there, but I I wonder if a little bit we're kind of saying oh th this guy's good because he's new. However, there is still the age argument that he's a couple of years younger than Eddie. Also, I I just think it kind of looks like from the limited um the limited amount I've seen of Balogun, he has a bit more to his game. So the way he holds the ball up and gives it to Willock for that third goal, for example, I, I just don't see Eddie doing that. I, I think Eddie Nketiah is a decent like uh, penalty box striker. And I really like um, his goal in this game, the way he closes the defender down and he gets the finish. And I, I think when he's in the box like that, you, you, you kind of back him. You know, as soon as he charged that defender down, when I was watching, I, I went, yeah, he's going to score here. Like, he's because done I that think, exact thing before, hasn't he? Charged yeah, it down, controlled yeah. it, and, and uh, he's, I think he controlled it into the net, in fact. Yeah, he's he's got, like, nice soft feet in the area. 
Yeah. Um, he, he's kind of tidy outside the area. I'm not sure he's outstanding outside the area. He's tidy. What, what I like about him in front of goal is he finds a way. Like he's he's got a variety of different finishes, um, he, and he he's quite instinctive like that. I, the, the question with Eddie is: Has he got it in any other area of his game? Can he do the like the joining the play together? You know, moving wide, moving outside the box, and linking. I I'm not that sure. I'm not entirely, we certainly haven't seen that yet. And if you haven't got that, then you've got to be like Aubameyang and you've got to be just amazing at getting in the box and scoring. Whereas Balogun looks like he's got a little bit more of that, maybe that physical presence, maybe that, you know, streetwise in areas that don't just involve putting the ball in the net. I mean, I haven't really seen enough to say that absolutely emphatically, but he, he does look a bit like... A slightly better fit whereas with Eddie he kind of has to score that's the thing with Eddie because he doesn't he doesn't contribute enough in other areas of the game he, like he has to score a goal but Balogun the reason I wanted to see more of Balogun is because I want to see if this impression and, and you know maybe I'll get that chance I don't know but I want to see if that impression for my own curiosity is right that he's just got a bit more a bit more to his game all around and um and he's got, he just looks a little bit more forceful to me. He had that, um, was it in this game? He had that volley over the bar, um, you know, where he comes onto it and it's such a difficult chance, but he takes it on and it just goes over and you think, yeah, that's, that's a guy who's just like, you know, got that kind of, um, that, that forceful, that assertiveness, um, that I'm not, always convinced in Ketia has but maybe that's that's just a bias because they physically look different and maybe I'm just noticing the bigger guy of the two um but yeah I, I I'd like to have seen Balogun given a bit more of this game just because I feel like that window's closing now mm. you know we've got Man City in the Carabao Cup we've got Newcastle in the FA Cup um you know i'm not sure the chances there for him to start either of those games and if we get through either of those then you know there's no guarantee we're going to get a league one or league two side so i I do feel like that window's closing a bit but if we have if if, for example we want to keep balogun more than enketia the fact that they've got the same agent kind of actually works in our hands because we can say you know we can have the one we can have one conversation basically and say sorry we don't see it with eddie um go and find you know go and find him um another premier league club get us 20 million pounds we'll throw a nice contract at balogun and uh and we'll all go from there and and maybe that would work mm. you know what i would say tim you made a point earlier in this in this um answer about if balogun had scored the five goals and Ketty had scored right and i guess what i would say is that like the issue isn't necessarily who's better or who's de- like we've had a look at Enkedia. As a club, we should know what we have with him now. You know what I mean? I went on an epic rant, epic, not meaning good, just long, about patience not being a virtue in football and the instant reaction pod. And the idea that, like, you can't have four or five seasons to judge players. You just can't. You've got to make these decisions quicker. And at this point, Arsenal should have a good idea of whether Eddie and Keddie is going to make it at the level we need. My opinion is he's not. And that, you know, the problem is when you say someone's not good enough for Arsenal, people think you're saying he's shit. And I'm not saying he's shit. I'm not saying he's shit. I'm saying he's going to have a good career somewhere, but probably not Arsenal. We should know by now if we think Eddie and Ketty is an Arsenal player going forward or he isn't. And if he isn't, it doesn't mean Balogun's going to be better than him, but he's the next man up in line to get the chance to show what he can do. And three seasons from now, 
we should have already figured out what we have in Balogun. You, you know what I'm saying? So like, mm. or two seasons from now. The, the point is that like, yes, Eddie Nketiah right now is further along in his development than Balogun is, but we should know what we have in Nketiah. And if we know he's not going to make it, then he should be moved along and Balogun should be that next man up who gets that chance. You know, as it happens, you know, this is, because this is what happens. Iwobi stands in the way of Saka, right? Uh, maybe Willock stands in the way of of Smith Rowe and Kedia stands in the way of Balogun and you have to sort of move these guys on. You made the point in the instant reaction pod and I'll just make it for you quickly. Bentley and Fabregas came through at the same time. One went out on loan and one became one of the best midfielders in world football. Um, you have to make these choices and you can't let one stand in the way of the other. So, uh, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to you on this, but I know Clive... Clive has uh, messaged me that he is privy to all of the inside information going on. He has been in the room where the discussions have happened. He's been on the phone with agents. He messaged me to say that I have, uh, I am officially ITK here. Please come to me because I know all of the intimate details of the contract negotiation. So Clive, with that lead in, go. (laughs) Yeah, that's not really fair, but um, what I will say is that. (laughs) When when um, have I ever been fair? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just to add a little bit of juice to this, um, mm. the same agent is for Saka and Nelson as well, right? So that tells you that agent is in the club, right? So, so with this situation, what happened was um, the the contract that we offered Balogun was a very much incentive based contract, and he didn't like it. So I also tried to freeze him a little bit. So when all those players were coming up to the first team training shots, he was never in first team training, and something changed. I'm not sure what it was. Was it uh, Raul going? I don't know. We can decide. I'm not sure. But something changed. He started coming into tr- first-team training. Suddenly, the conversation started happening again. And now he's had first-team opportunities. And here we are. Had a little chance to see him for an hour's worth of football. And he looks pretty good. He looks pretty good at the at the first-team level. He looks pretty strong. And there's a, there is a potential pathway developing with Lacazette potentially going. But I still think we need another striker anyway. So I wouldn't, if you want to blame the club for not offering the right contract at the start, I don't know the contract details compared to some of the other young players with that same agent, but he knows what he can get out of Arsenal. I would trust that given the fact he's got those players under his wing and he's had players like Alex Iwobi as well historically. So he knows how to get things out of Arsenal. He's seen players leave Arsenal. So I think, I'm not sure if he's an easy person to deal with. I'm not that close. But he knows the drill. And Arsenal right now, given the fact the player is playing well, need to come back to him with a different contract, with maybe less intense incentives and more guarantees. And that's just business. And if they're smart, they need to do it quickly. If we don't get him signed up, he will leave. Then we will get compensation. But that compensation is not defined by us, by the independent panel. And it could be like eight or nine million, something like that. And given what we've seen in this guy already and his you know, physicality and what he can do, he's very two-footed and that hunger that he has and how he pushes men around, I think there's a lot more than eight, nine million quid <laughs> there for us, you know. So if he scores five goals, that's that's 25 straight away. You know, that's how quickly mm. things go. So I'm hoping we sort this out. Um, Arteta's making the right noises. He's making the right noises, but... You know, we all saw what we saw last night, didn't we? And we can see the potential of him in different phases of the game, different to Eddie, but, you know, something that maybe we need for this particular build-up. I think that would be really interesting. And um, uh, much like everybody else, I liked what I saw. Yeah, and to be clear, I don't know that Balogun will be better than Eddie, Eddie and Kedia. I don't. I mean, I hope he's better than Thierry Henry. I don't know what he'll be. My, my point is more that 
we have had enough of a look at Enkedia that a good club at this point should have pretty clear conclusions. Those conclusions can wind up being wrong, but you have to. Patience is not a virtue here. You have to make these decisions and move on. Um, Paul, you are the optimist, so I will let you tell me why he is going to stay and sign a deal. Uh, well, he's been here since he was eight. Uh, we've had worries about players before, and when we've rated a player who's been a long time and shown him the love. Now, we may have fumbled the ball a little bit here with him over the last six months or so contract-wise, but he's been here since he was eight. We were worried about Saka. We were thought that wasn't going to happen. Like, once we're clear on the abilities of a player... Uh, and once they're an Arsenal player, it makes all kind of sense for their careers for them to m- commit to being at Arsenal. Because um, we're going to give them the chances. Like they go to another club, they get lost in the mix if things don't go well for them early. Whereas you can be shit at Arsenal for a year or two we're, we're, after you've signed your contract. You're going to get your chances because you're an Arsenal lad if you've got potential. So it makes sense on both sides that he stays with us. I also think the fact that he happens to have the same agent and the fact that uh, you know Tim's concerned over them getting the same pitch that the spot's there for them. I don't think it's much of an issue here because they're not doing their contracts at exactly the same moment. I think Balogun, you know, the the pitch to Balogun is that spot that's there for Eddie is there for you too. You're both going to get to play. Um, you got a year or two more on Eddie, but you know it's there. You we've got Obama Yang. Nothing else is nailed down. Um, you two guys could be our our starting forwards in a, in two three years time if you're good enough. But certainly that that other striker role, that that I mean, do you think Balogun doesn't fancy you right now? I mean, if if we're looking at Eddie and saying mm, good but not but not great. You know, kind of coming out as average for a team at this level at the moment. Maybe he'll get better, given a bit of time. Well, Balogun's looking at that saying, holy shit, I'm way better than this. Because that's what an 18-year-old thinks when he's looking at football. It all seems so easy. He knows what he's done before. He thinks he knows what he, uh, what his future looks like. He thinks he's fucking great. And we think he might be too. Um and he's going to look at this and see nothing but opportunity. Tell him that that him and Eddie are competing for that spot. He'll be all over it. No, Eddie mm-hmm. should look at it and say, yeah, I can handle that competition. Even if he hears about those conversations, no bother to him. I mean, competition's what it's all about. He or, he's already competing with Lacazette. Lacazette will be gone in the summer. Uh, you know, there's a way of phrasing it that says, we have at least one spot here, boys. Be good enough. You know, it's not down to him already. If they're both good enough, they're both going to play a shitload. Just go and be good enough. The club will support you. You'll get your chances. Um, I do think Balogun uh, might be a bit special. Uh, I haven't seen a huge amount of him. Uh, I think we all struggle to see too much more than the minutes you get you get online through Arsenal. But, you know, he does have that bigger frame and more athleticism, and he offers something a little deeper. If we were the kind of team that created lots of chances and we need somebody to finish in the box, Eddie is superb at just drifting into that pocket where the ball's coming in, sensing where the opportunities might be. Um, but but he's not physically, you know, if he had Tammy Abrams' physicality, 
you'd have a whole other player for us there, but he doesn't. He's a little smaller, a little slighter. He's fast, but not super quick. Until we become a team that's trying to find somebody to finish off all those great chances we're creating in the box, uh, Eddie is limited from going from being a, a decent player to becoming a really good player. I think Balogun offers us uh, much more physicality and power and uh, a lot to his game. Uh, I just think he's technically that. better. I think he's a technically cleaner footballer in terms of his touch, his control. Um, look, I, I, I think if Eddie's staying, then Balogun's gone. And I, if I were Balogun's agent, I would not keep him at Arsenal because... Why? Why? The, the position's no, there. I don't want him at Arsenal if I'm his agent. I'm not As an Arsenal fan, I hope I desperately think, um, stays. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. It'll all get sorted out next summer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Lacazette's gone. Uh, I doubt that we will go into next year with Eddie being our number two striker unless he's really established himself. So you the, think he'll be sold? There. Look, if he's going to be sold, then yeah, absolutely, Balogun should stay. I mean, summer, if the club says to him, yeah, we're probably going to move on from... Yeah, yeah, j- just to be clear. If the club says to Balogun, our plan is to sell Eddie and Keddie next summer... They're not going to tell him that. Well, I mean... They're going to say they the tell job's him there. No, they do. I mean, they, they, they got to tell him... He's going to look at Eddie and say, I can take that position. That's all I got to say to him. That that, yep. that spot is there. He's not going to get a better offer at another club. Oh, I disagree. Why? I, I think what, they see something we don't. No, I think there's a club that can. I think there are clubs that can offer him more paths to playing time. Like, because here's the thing. If you're an agent, who? look, he's going to be 20 years old. And yeah, so but who would who would offer him a better deal? I, I can a better I situation. Can answer it for you if you'd like. Yeah, um, he can sign a free and make more money at a club in Germany and play a lot of football and and do what Jaden Sancho did and turn himself no. into a fifty million no, pound can, footballer. No. And the, he he's can't. not Jaden Sancho. How do you know? I mean, if he's that good, we'll be starting him next year. Well, why is Jaden Sancho if, if playing I, in Germany? Jaden Sancho and him have the same agent. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> he's gone. Just just clearly, he's gone. Clive, go ahead. What do you, what do you got to add? No, I just say it's 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 a pathway discussion, isn't it? And yes, I, and exactly. This is where we need to get better. We need to get better because what we should do, we should sign him on a four-year contract and get him out on loan straight away. He's had three games of adult football. Uh, one was ten minutes, two two ten minutes, and one sixty minutes. Three games of adult football. We can all see the potential. Get him out on loan real quick. You know, get him out on loan. We've got Martinelli coming back. We've got Eddie in the background, and I think he can. His decision time is coming because his contract will have a year to go next summer. So we got. We need to buy another forward. Let's be honest, we need another forward. Game out on loan, build him. When 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 Aubameyang hits that age curve, Elliot, mm-hmm. <laughs> we got the player ready. You mean the, you mean the one he's on the wrong side of already? <laughs> the one he's on the wrong side of right now, where he says, and um, you never told me that before. Elliot. Why didn't you get that through to me? <laughs> Sorry, right, so, um, so I think, um, but that's it. That's your Aubameyang replacement right there. But you need to play him somewhere. You can't have him in your under twenty three playing with children. You need to get him playing against men because that's the sort of guy you see his body shape. Don't play him with kids. Youth football is over for him. He's got to get out on loan real quick, play with men, develop those appearances, and then when he comes to Arsenal, he comes back and he gets a number nine shirt on his back, and that's it, he's playing. I, I think that is... All right, so you know what? You, you've elucidated much better than what, what I was trying to say, which is no surprise whatsoever, but it's essentially that, like, you need to do a couple things. You need to show him the money, pay him really well, and you need to show him what his path 
is going to be, as you said. And that path can be, here's a loan. We've lined it up. We hope you like it. Do you like it? We've scouted it. This is where we think you can go and spend a year playing real football. And then you come back and there's going to be uh, first team playing time for you as striker. Um, you know, as Aubameyang's into the last year of his deal, he's not going to be playing every game as much we don't foresee and, and we don't see anybody else, you know, really taking that role from you. Or maybe it's next season he just becomes the backup striker. I don't know, but there has to be a path. The problem is... Um, he can go get good money and plenty of playing time at 20 years old somewhere. And if you're an agent, you look at it this way. He's got three more contracts. This one, one after that, and one after that. That's his entire career. This next one is the one that can make him a 50 million pound player. This next one. So from 20 to 23, he's got to become a 50 million pound player. And the only way that's going to happen is if he plays. It's the only way. He can't be behind Eddie and Kedia from his 20 to 23-year-old contract. He can't. If you're an agent, you cannot allow that to happen. So he, yep. might, by the way, I want to be, be clear about something. I'm not saying he's Jaden Sancho. I say, I'm saying that, that model, I'm not saying that that's who he is or who he will be. But as his agent, you can't let his 20 to 23-year-old period be behind Eddie and Kedia. You can do that if you're Benicophobi and you don't have a 50 million pound career. But if, you, if this kid has the talent and if he's got that big future, We've, this is why I went on the rant about patience not being a virtue on the instant reaction pod. Eddie and Kedia should have been sold this past summer because then Balogun would be playing his minutes and this wouldn't be an issue and he'd be signed. But that's not what we did and now we have to make some tough decisions and we got to convince a guy who in January can sign with Dortmund if he wants that he should stay and that there's a role for him. But if you're his agent, you can't let his 20 to 23-year-old period be sitting behind Aubameyang and Eddie and Kedia because that's how you don't become a 50 million pound player. That's how you become nothing. Um... And, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know how you fix that. I mean, uh, Clive, it sounds like you wanted to just jump back in quickly and I don't want to freeze Tim uh, out. And then I, I do want to turn the corner think, and get this one over with because we put an hour into a yeah, Thursday night football game. I think you'll, it's good. It's good chat, right? The game was average, right? It's good chat. Uh, I think um, what you have to get better at. We got these, we got a bright young group from Highland, really bright young group. And we are really focusing on them because the old bloke's not that good, right? So we're looking at the youngsters. And we're looking at all the comps, and it's it's exciting stuff, right? So, um, but we have to get better at loading these guys out at the right time. We're not maximising them. We've only got to look at Chelsea. I really feel strongly we don't have enough loan relationships to get these guys to meet. We've been unlucky with Eddie and unlucky with Smith Rowe, Leeds and RB Leipzig. They're still here. They're making their way. They could have been better with more minutes, with more fitness. They'd be more ready so we wouldn't have really a discussion. They'd just be there. The only situation I've said in the other week, he's coming to a head. Potentially he could go. You can see him at a Bournemouth. You could see him at a promoted Norwich. You can see him at Crystal Palace. You can see him at these places. First team player making good money for himself. Right? Or we sign him on again and we, we try to eke that value out while we're waiting for Balogun. Balogun's arriving real quick. Sometimes it happens so fast you can't wait, right? So we've got to find out. We've got to find out. We've got to get better at loaning and having strategies to the first team. I don't think we have to get better at talent identification and getting people near the squad. I think we're brilliant at that. Getting them near the training with the first team, I think it's incredible opportunities that we give these young players to train with the first team at a really young age. I think we're really good at that. We know all their names. We see them in all the videos. And they get so much exposure. And that's how we attract these young players to Arsenal. We say, you're going to train with the first team. You're going to be amongst that first team squad. We do that well. But now we get these players here. 
need to get a much better loan strategy so we can get more ready-made people into the first team. That's my view anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, Tim, um, you know, just a final thought here. I mean, look, <laughs> this will all get sorted out. And, and there is a chance Balogun stays, obviously. I mean, to Paul's point, like, he's been here since he's a kid. He surely loves the club. I'm sure he loves London. I'm sure he'd rather stay at his childhood club and, and in his home then go somewhere else if he can avoid it. Um, but agents tend to be very involved. You know, we we think about it from what the kid would want. It's really what the agent wants for the kid. That's how this is going to mm-hmm. be resolved. So we'll see how that works out. Um, I guess this is the this is the most pressing question coming out of this. The group stages were fun, and we played some dynamic attack in football, and we looked at the lines compress more, and we looked at the midfield interact with the forwards more, and a little bit more pressing that allows us to turn the ball over and create possessions that start higher up the pitch and that all works and we haven't been able to duplicate that in the premier league you could argue it's level of opposition you can argue it's the players we're using you can argue it's the tactics that arteta is employing and maybe it's some combination of the three it's burnley at the weekend we know what they want to do they want to sit deep they want to hit it long they want to hit crosses and 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 set pieces you know to head to score the odd goal and sit back and defend it and block shots and stuff so mikel arteta is, is in a tough spot because if it's just Lacazette and Willian and, you know, Shaka and the usual suspects crossing their way to a nil-nil at the weekend, people are going to be furious about it. But at the same time, if you go with the inexperienced kids and you lose again, um, it's a mess. So in your mind, is there a right number of kids to bring in? Is there is there one change <laughs> he could make? You know, is it Nelson for Willian or ESR for Willian? Is, is there one sort of exciting, dynamic, youthful player he can insert into this to fix it how do how do you see him going this weekend yeah it's it's an interesting one isn't it i i think he'll largely go with the experience again um not least because we're in a tough spot and burnley um whatever you think of burnley burnley are one of the oldest teams in the premier league um Mm. right they've got I, i i think they might be the oldest now it was palace last year but i think palace bought some young players in so i think i'm right in saying burnley are the oldest team in the premier league and we know what they're like they're you know they're big blokes um, basically, um, most of them. So I, I think he might defer to experience and also because I think that these plans are usually set in advance. And, you know, when when stuff like, um, you know, when he selects his team for Dundalk, he probably already has his team for Burnley in mind. And I, th- I think you have to do a lot against Dundalk to then force your way back into That's the conversation. Yep. So. I, I think he will, you know, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Xhaka, the players who had no part of this and didn't even travel, I'm I'm sure they'll be back in. And if they don't do it against Burnley, then, you know, then maybe we're looking at things a bit differently. I, I think what I'd like to say in closing, though, um, which is not a response to your question at all, but a point I really want to make. And like anyone who's it. been listening, Free swim. <laughs> <laughs> anyone who's been listening to this podcast for the last few years will know I've been banging on about this for ages about don't spend money on squad players. Use your academy players for that stuff. Use them for as long as they're useful. Then make a call on them when they're 21, 22. And if they're good enough, give them more. If they're not, sell them on, right? like we did with the Wobi, et cetera, et cetera. I've been calling for that for years. Stop spending money on Lucas Perez. Stop spending money on Cedric Suarez. You, you know, stop doing that. Use the academy kids. Use them for as long as they're useful. And, and I, I'm sorry, so I know smart. this sounds a bit heartless. It's so smart. <laughs> but, but, uh, and, but as soon as they're not useful, 
you know, move them on, make a decision about them. We got through this Europa League group with 18 points out of 18. We troubled Rabamiang for 20 minutes in this, right? And look, there aren't many other important Arsenal players, but basically we didn't have to trouble the first team at all. We played the kids. They played well. They've all got like, you know, Willock scored goals and Ketia scored goals. Balogun's got goals. We left in the important player, uh, singular, at home for most of it. We didn't get any injuries um, to the important player. Um, <laughs> important players. <laughs> this this is exactly so. And and of course, like naturally, we've been turning the discussion outwards and saying, right, okay, but what can the young players do in the first team? And that's because the first team's playing rubbish at the moment, right? But this is exactly what should be happening in the Europa League group stage. Give the time to the kids. They got 18 points out of 18. Everyone else has had their feet up. Those young players now, they've boosted their credibility a little bit. People think a lot more of Joe Willock now than they did in August, for example. And and that is exactly how this should be running for, for while we're in the Europa League particularly. Do not spend money on squad players. And, you know, and like you say, if, if Nketiah is out next year and it's Balogun playing these games, if we're back in the Europa League next year, great. Like, absolutely great. And if in two years, Balogun doesn't quite make it and, you know, keep churning it like that rather than spending like 10, 15 million pounds on average players. And so I guess that's a bit of credit that I want to give the club slash Mikel Arteta. I'm not sure that this was a strategy born out of anything other than, oh, fuck, we've been out of the Champions League and we can't spend 17 million on Lucas Perez anymore. And, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. But this is what we should have been doing, in my view, a long time ago. And for me, even if they're not young players, your squad players should turn over quickly anyway because if they're not playing they should want to go when you get the problem is when you get squad players who are happy to sit there on their contracts and not play and I think there's less of a risk with that with young players 21 year old Eddie Nketiah this summer is not he's in my view he is not going to go hmm I'm going to sit it out for one more year at Arsenal actually life's comfortable because he's not established he's 21 he's going to go no 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 I'll go to Crystal Palace I'll go to Brighton I'll go where I need to go to play and that that is what we should be using the young players for and to your point Elliot if two or three of them go on to do more than that brilliant yeah and and it doesn't hurt you you know opportunity cost is about what you could be doing not you know what happens with with players who have moved on they're not your opportunity cost the opportunity cost the players you have at the club which is why you don't go get a Pablo Marie and you don't go get a Cedric and you don't go get a Willian and you know you don't you don't go get these guys who stand in the way of younger players who could become asset value or just become stars for your club, even better still, um, who have really no upside and can sit there soaking up paycheck um, and and with no ambition to move on or go anywhere. So, uh, Paul, I'm going to finish with you because there's one thing that we do have to touch on. I, guys, look, it's a, it's a Friday pod about Thursday night football, but th- this is something that I, I don't want to leave the pod without at least touching on. Paul, there's a weird situation developing in France where the TV station that basically committed all the money to support the prop up the league is folding and doesn't look like they're going to pay the league and the league's in huge trouble. And the, the clubs as a result are in huge trouble. And there's rumors now that there'll be fire sales and, you know, hopefully obviously league on doesn't fold and French football goes on to continue to be a, a going concern and churning out brilliant talent. Cause it's been doing that for years. But like at the moment it's very uncertain and it certainly 
would look like the pressure is on agents to get their players out of there and on clubs to maybe cash in. Um, do you have any sort of insight into this in terms of just what's happening or any, any take on it? I mean, like, obviously it's reignited uh, questions about whether we'll go back for a war, uh, you know, and things like that. But it certainly looks like an, a potentially terrible situation developing there. Uh, no, I have none, none whatsoever. I'm glad I, I came. Sounds here. terrible. Yeah, this first you're hearing That's of it. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> um, I think we should buy a bunch of players. Uh, Awar is not. I think that Awar bridge seems very burned to me. Mm. But like, there's there's never a shortage of talent there for the last decade. Um, well, let me tell you so, something. If the Awar Bridge is burned, it looks like the Sobosalai Tunnel is burned. So I think we're stuck on uh, Shaka yeah. Island because we got, we got nobody. Um, I'm, I am glad I yeah, came to you we, with this. Do, do you want to punt this yeah. one over to Clive before we say goodbye? Yeah, yeah. But but like, yeah. We'll, I mean, if, if there's meltdown and there's opportunity there, like we have the need and they'll do it. So could be exciting. That's about all I got. Not a totally add, similar situation, but we kind of lucked into Santi Cazorla by taking him off a club that had money and then went bust. Um, Clive, you have any thoughts on this yeah. situation? And like Dundalk, I mean, those players apparently don't even have bloody contracts going forward. So we could have a little look around there. Um, uh, if Dan, I, 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 if Dan Hoare is listening to our podcast as an Arsenal supporter, <laughs> get in touch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Clive. <laughs> I hear he's a whore in the bedroom and a uh, left back on the pitch. Super. <laughs> yeah, well, I find I was just talking to someone about it today a little bit, and I, it's a it's a it's a firm called Media Pro, and they failed to make the last few payments, and and so everyone's a little bit concerned. Obviously, like the French government have chucked them some money, but that's just getting through. And Canal Plus are waiting in the background to pick up a deal, but they're going to pick up a deal at their at their price, right? Aren't they? What would you do? Right? So um, they're historical. They historically own that contract, so that's going to be interesting, and it could. Obviously, there's a number of players, although I'm a little bit less um, enamoured with the French League. Um, you know, the Pepe's burned me a little bit. You know, nice, talented player, but what you're not sure what you're going to get sometimes. And physically, he hasn't stepped on as I thought he would do. Um, I'm, I'm not saying we use him correctly all the time. And so I'm starting to think a lot more about players in our league, you know, like Basuma, for example, and players like that. To, and Buendia, you know, when we're looking to buy rather than going to the French League, because I'm just not sure their physicality. I'm really not, you know, so that's a that's a problem. So I was going to see what happens. It won't just be us looking at these bright young things. I watched Lille versus Celtic last night. There's a player called Bubi Samari, strong player. We nearly went for him instead of party. I looked at him last night. There are other players in that Lille team. We've also got a relationship with them that look really quite good, you know, so young raw talent that we could easily buy at a much better more competitive price so that'll be interesting and one last thing on the young players i think we criticize the club sometimes for not playing them at the right time and not loaning them and myself included but we wouldn't know anything about them if we didn't see them in these scenarios we wouldn't even be debating these players at all and sometimes we need to turn it around and flip it around and praise the club for getting them to this level you know, not all, not many clubs have got this many youth players this close to the first team. You know, we and I think sometimes we've got to turn it around. We don't want to see them go out of door for nothing. We don't want to see the wastage. We don't want to see particularly Cedric and Winnie, and not so much Mary because we don't seem to be producing many centre-halves. There's a young guy called Dan Ballard who's a Northern Ireland international. 
you know, he comes around the corner for me, by the way. And we're not sure if he's quite ready yet, but he looks quite solid. But we're not producing many centre-halves at youth level. But why are we buying the Cedric? Why are we buying the William? We've done it. We've got lots of attacking young midfielders. They're just blocking the road, right? So, um, so yeah, I think the club doing some good things. Just need to sharpen up their game. And maybe there's opportunity coming out of France. If they're smart, they can maybe maybe take a few players out of there for half the price. And I, I will certainly be looking at that. Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad that we had the chance to discuss it and inform Paul of it live on the podcast. <laughs> so, all good that, things. That's why I come on this thing, just, just to catch up with yeah, events. Learn. Catch up with <laughs> current events. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. That mute button is hard to get to sometimes. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You should block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner, if you aren't already. Good God. I do want to say uh, there is a tweet. I think his name is Mikayo Saka. He has done an infographic of the podcast, so to speak, that is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. And it sums up <laughs> all of us uh, quite succinctly. Pretty well. It's pretty damn good, man. All I all I want to tell you here's the teaser: the image has Clive in a monocle. Okay, so that's all you need to know. Go seek it out and seek out the inevitable result this weekend because we love you and we will talk to you after Arsenal ten, Burnley nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.